Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. Listening more specifically to the aftermath of a high. Which is not like the particularly fun kind where in the past I've done like a few episodes getting a little stoned and sometimes like watching Dracula. The high that I experienced came yesterday when I went to a thrift store and I found a bunch of interesting shit that is very valuable but I only bought it for like a dollar a piece with the intention of then selling it for much more money on the internet. I haven't talked about it in a while but I did make something of a fuss when I started about a year ago but over the past few months I have continued to go thrifting buy a bunch of things super cheap, and then try to flip them on eBay. The reason it hasn't come up very much over the past few months is because I've been working on another book, so I haven't been doing it for a while, but the other reason I tend not to bring it up is that I'm not very good at doing this. And it's a great feeling when you've got like two tote bags full of random shit that you bought for like a total of $20, and you're taking it to the post office and selling it for a total of like 110. The profits aren't huge because, as I mentioned, I'm not particularly good at it. What ends up happening is I go to a thrift store, I find something valuable, I get overexcited, and I fail to inspect it. And only once I've paid and brought it home and finally kind of confronted it as I'm trying to take uh, ring light photos for eBay, I realize that there's a giant like bleach stain or a slash in the garment or the heel of the sneaker that I bought is like completely peeling off. But I've gotten better, I've gotten a little more disciplined, and lately I've been like really studying the craft. I've been watching videos on YouTube. I've been I've been looking over the the day's sales on eBay and Poshmark and Mercari. A bunch of different selling platforms online, each of which caters to a, a fairly distinct clientele. But yesterday, I was on my fucking game and I was not in the best of moods cuz there's like other shit that I want to be doing with my time and I was dragging my feet to the thrift store because it had been a while since I tried to be at the Goodwill bins right when they opened at 8 a.m. so that I could sort of sift through the stuff before a crowd had accumulated. And it was Saturday morning, so the crowd was going to show up sooner than it does on other days of the week, and they were going to be a little more excitable than they are on other days of the week. So I went in there thinking like, fuck, I'm rusty. This is my first time thrifting in like two months. It's early. I would rather be reading or working on the podcast, but no, I'm driving and I'm stuck in traffic and it's raining. Now I got to stand in line and I'm not going to find anything good, but no. I found good shit. I found like a, a legit US Army jacket, which incidentally, if you can find those, they flip for like a good amount of money. So long as there's not like holes in them or huge bleach stains. Now, when I got home, I washed it and then I put it, I didn't dry it, but I, I put it on a hanger and I hung it on the closet door from that hanger. And I realized as I was doing so that it has a huge bleach stain and a hole in the sleeve. Now fortunately, it's like fucking built for combat and it's supposed to be used in all kinds of weather, all kinds of climate. So even with a hole in a bleach stain like it'll sell. Maybe it, you know, prior to this it would have flipped for 60 or 70 dollars now it maybe like 30. But apart from that I found two designer jackets. One is 
I don't know, EPL 1911 or something like that. And the other one is from a brand I'd never heard of before called um, Tuesday Night Band Practice. It's like a goth kind of luxury brand out of the UK. I think they're defunct because I went on the website and the front page was a catalog for 2016. I found this fucking pair of skiboard boots. The brand is called Burton. These boots retail for $450 and I got them for five. I got a pair of Sperry's. I got a Grateful Dead backpack made entirely of hemp. I got so many things and they seemed of such consistent quality and value that I was just overjoyed and I got back to the apartment and Marie wasn't here but I had the day off and I just put this shit with all the other quote-unquote inventory and then I just went basking around the apartment and I took a shower because of course you get drenched in sweat in that warehouse of the Goodwill outlet and then I did some reading but like I didn't take photos of the items I didn't post them right away instead I just basked in the idea that like I'd found this awesome shit I was gonna dust it off post it is sell it very quickly for huge amounts of money. And even though the huge amounts of money, like at the end of the day, if everything had sold for an ideal price, it, I would have turned $50 into like a thousand, which is fantastic. But a thousand dollars is not really going to change your life. Turning $50 into a thousand over the course of a few days would basically mean that like I can buy a beer without worrying, without trying to do a bunch of math in my head about the financial ramifications that are going to greet me at the end of the following week for having indulged myself and bought two pints at this inexplicably overpriced dive bar near my apartment to which I, I keep going even though it's ridiculously priced because the bartender is nice to me but he's a special kind of nice to me the other day I went and I got the, the, the standard two pints and I gave him my debit card and he went and he rang it up and he came back and he set the debit card down folded his arms and he leaned on the counter as if we were just talking about the weather his posture was the kind of thing that nobody in the bar would find suspicious and he leaned in close enough so that no one else could hear and he said to me with a wince yeah it looks like you don't have enough money on this card and he said happens all the time this was the eve of payday and I didn't realize I was like on the brink of overdrafting so I gave him a credit card and I was like yeah no I work at a grocery store I know what you mean. And when I said, yeah, no, I, know, I, I work at a grocery store, I know what you mean, I was referring to the fact that, yeah, working at the grocery store, it's a different kind of retail experience than you have like my at a place like my first job, which was Abercrombie & Fitch. That was my first job when I was 17 years old. And as you might be able to guess, I didn't belong there. When you when you work, I don't know if it's different now, but when you work for Abercrombie, they have um, one of two titles. Either you're a model, that means you work on the floor and you have to like help out the customers, or you're, you're, you're a part of the impact team. And that means you're in the back and you're just like, working with inventory and you're not interacting with customers it's a lot it's kind of like the time machine like i was in the back with the morlocks and we're all just like grunting and dragging our knuckles and putting very tiny pairs of jeans on shelves but the models who worked on the floor of the store and interacted with customers we all had the same dress code and the dress code in terms of footwear you could wear one of two things you could either wear converse sneakers or you could wear thong-toed flip-flops that ha but they had to be Abercrombie brand. My grandfather is a retired cop and he's, he's in his 70s so he's got a few pithy like distillations of life's wisdom from having seen basically the worst of humanity and one of his abiding little things to go through life is flip-flops will get you killed. 
flip-flops will get you killed because chaos and violence, when it arrives, tends to happen very quickly and you tend to have to run away from it. So I don't fuck with flip-flops, never really have, but I thought it was interesting that this company that mostly hired like teenagers was saying, hey, come in here and be an effective employee standing on your feet for seven or eight hours at a time in flip-flops. I don't know why it seemed careless. Did you know that Abercrombie & Fitch used to be a sporting goods store and actually Abercrombie & Fitch is where Hemingway bought the shotgun that he used to blow his head off. And did you know that prior to shooting himself, Hemingway attempted suicide? This I think was like weeks or maybe just a few days before the like final attempt. He attempted suicide on a tarmac somewhere. He just started, like he did a sort of pigeon chested thing. He straightened his posture and he turned toward a, an airplane that was about to take off and he just started marching toward the propeller. And he had to be like pulled away or subdued. That's what a teacher told me once. It's always stayed in my head, but I've never actually pursued confirmation that that happened. That guy was my favorite teacher in college. His name was Philip Marcus and one day we got moved. Our whole class had to be like uprooted from a really cozy like windowless room. The kind of room that English majors appreciate and we had to go to this other room that was like all windows and one of the walls of windows was facing the sunrise and this class was convening at like 7 a.m. so the sun came in like with brutal intensity and we had to close the blinds but some sunlight still came in through the blinds. And I remember the first day it happened he walked he walked in a little bit late because he had forgotten we were moved. He was pulling along this roller luggage and he stopped inside, like at the front of the room, and he looked at the window and he winced and then he looked at everyone and then he walked to the blackboard and he said, okay guys, just, if it gets too bright in here, just let me know and I'll, I'll put on my sunglasses. I have a feeling it wasn't, that's not like his original joke. I have a feeling he was quoting something or like ripping someone off, but it stays with me as like one of the funniest jokes someone ever delivered spontaneously. What are we talking about? What was I talking about? Oh, I didn't have money at the bar. Okay, Cheers. so what I meant, like, okay, working at a grocery store, it's retail. And if you've worked retail one place, you've worked retail every place. But one of the d d distinct characteristics of working at a grocery store is that Everybody goes to the grocery store. If you work at Abercrombie & Fitch, you have one or two very particular types, and you have maybe three or six very distinct personalities that come in on a regular basis. Same thing if you work at Lululemon, or the Nike store, or the Apple store. At a grocery store though, it's 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 everybody. It's people who are interested in clothing and who are not interested in clothing. This grocery store I work at is on South Beach in Miami, where there's a huge Orthodox Jewish community. So as you're ringing people up, you will have a family of Orthodox Jews. And then right behind them, you'll have like five young 20-something women in bikinis buying three boxes of wine. And that's part of what makes the job so interesting, what makes the, you know, the relative tedium endurable is because the cast of characters is so diverse. And one of the things that has proven striking and kind of consoling but also kind of saddening is that in the course of ringing all these people up from clearly all walks of life, people come here from all over the world on vacation, so I hear Italian, I hear German, I hear Greek, the people sound so different. Like, minute by minute, they look so different from one another. And as someone who's working retail, obviously I don't make a whole lot of money there. Nor do any of my colleagues. And so we're always kind of talking on a level playing field. Nobody is, like, self-conscious about saying to another colleague, like, oh, I, I just paid my rent, so I have zero money. If you say something like that, everybody just kind of nods somberly, or they make a joke about it, which is nice. 
but it can make you kind of cower sometimes when someone comes up to the register and their fashion is like so on point, their makeup and hair is so perfect, their jewelry is not only like very glitzy, but it's like measured. And South Beach is a very trendy place. But what I have found, the thing I was saying was like saddening and also heartening is that when you ring up whatever it is, 45 customers in the course of one hour on register, probably every fifth customer, so about 10 in the course of that hour, will be using an EBT card. EBT stands for Electronic Benefit Transfer. I think the name, the acronym has changed a few times. It used to be, they used to call it food stamps. SNAP, okay, I just Googled it. SNAP, which stands for, fuck. SNAP stands for Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. But my impression is that it's government assistance and it, it's lo the card is loaded with like $250 every month and you can use it as a at a grocery store, sometimes at certain gas stations and convenience stores. And it can be used for buying certain things like bread, vegetables, fruit, meat. Usually whenever someone is buying alcohol, you can't use a SNAP card for alcohol, so they do it in two transactions. And that's what I was referring to. This is so goddamn circuitous and I'm sorry, but that's what I was referring to when the bartender said to me about my own overdraft. Hey, don't worry, happens all the time. What I meant was, yeah, I work at a grocery store and I see that it happens all the time that people's cards, you know, it comes up saying insufficient funds on the computer. But the way I, he made a face and I think the way that he took it was that I am often in the habit of going to going places I can't afford and like running my card and it comes back with insufficient funds, which is not something that I've never done, but it's not something I'm in the habit of doing. But so I got, but so I came home from Goodwill and I had all these clothes, all this shit that I was gonna flip on eBay and I was like, this is gonna earn a lot of money. My troubles are pretty much assuaged for the next week or so, but that's not really the case because there's the variable of what if this doesn't sell? Just because you found something popular, something valuable, it's in good shape, doesn't mean that when you post it on eBay, people are going to flock to it. No matter how cheap, no matter how great the condition, it's just the ebb and flow of the mar the capital M market. Sometimes there are people who want the thing that you are trying to sell, and other times there are not. Sometimes that ebb and flow is seasonal and you can predict it, sometimes not. Ultimately, it's all going on a hunch. I don't know what's going to sell, nobody knows what's going to sell. It's one of the many, many things in my life that I don't understand. Very, you know, it's a thing I don't understand similar to, like I, back to the grocery store, I don't understand most of the things that, that Barbara tells me. I work at a grocery store that's kind of slow pace. Like it's not very intense. It's not like a supermarket. I don't think you would say. And as a result of that slower pace, and as a result of the fact that it's got like a small town vibe, there's a lot of retirees who work there. A lot of colleagues in their late 60s, early 70s, but there's one, we have one colleague who's about 10 years older than the, the next oldest colleague. Her name is Barbara and Barbara is 81 or 82. Barbara was born and raised in New York. She got married when she was very young to a man who was considerably older than her. I believe she worked as a dance instructor and prior to being a dance instructor, she had been a professional ballerina. But Barbara was widowed a long time ago and when she was widowed and she collected some money, she went and lived for a few years on a houseboat. She's a little bit eccentric and at 81 or 82 years old, she's not very quick. I don't mean intellectually, she's as sharp as anyone else that you would talk to in the store, but physically. Obviously, at the age of 81 or 82, she's got her limitations. And 
as someone who's 81 or 82, she's walking around with 81 or 82 years of memories and opinions and traumas, heartaches, enchantments. This is part of the reason why old people have a bad rap as being like super chatty. It's interesting though, I find it interesting, because there's like no item that they can pick up. There's no historical period that you can reference for which they do not have some kind of memory. Maybe you're holding up a bag of bologna and they've never eaten bologna in their life, but they knew a guy who used to eat a lot of bologna, and his name was Fred, and Fred was totally unpredictable, and Fred used to eat bologna all the time, and he would make these sandwiches, and at a certain point, he started hand-feeding those bologna sandwiches to his brother, and his brother had Parkinson's, but his brother was also a dentist, but he was very proud, so even when the Parkinson's was taking hold, and he was, like, very jittery, he didn't retire as a dentist, and he had been some people's dentist for, like, 30 years, and so out of a sense of loyalty, and a sense that they would crush his feelings, and that they couldn't avoid him, because it was a small town, they kept going to see this Parkinsonian dentist and, and like the tremors could not be suppressed and he would have these jangling trembling hook-shaped instruments and he would go into people's mouths and the things would clatter between teeth anyways that's not actually a story that she tells but it's the kind of story that I often hear at the checkout line when I'm ringing someone up who is in their 80s long meandering reminiscences you don't really know where they came from you don't really know where they're going and ultimately they just stop abruptly and don't you fucking say anything about the hypocrisy of my challenging people on their aimless digressive tangents barbara i was working the other day with barbara and barbara because she's got you know she can't you know lift some of the heavy items that sometimes come to the register she is always stationed and when occasionally she's working register she's stationed at the express lanes the sort of 10 items or less lane they station her here because the people who are in the express lane are usually just getting enough items to prepare one meal for themselves thing is Anne is very chatty and anything that touches her hand she wants to talk about it so she's moving these things very close very slowly over the scanner and then pausing inspecting them making a comment asking a question, volunteering a story, the story meanders and, and sort of trickles away, and then she does it again with the next item. And a couple days ago, it was quiet at the store. It was one of those weird things where there's a pop, it's very, very intense, and then suddenly the whole place is quiet, there's no one around. It was Friday, September 29th, and Barbara turns around at one point, she leans back on her register, and she says to me, I gotta get a haircut. And I'm standing there at the register right beside her, it's just the two of us, I don't really know what to say to that. So I just said, oh yeah? And I left it at that. Because the thing with Barbara is sometimes you're like, oh, I don't know what to talk to, to Barbara about. But that when you're talking to Barbara, you don't really have to try. Barbara will do the talking. And if you want Barbara to start talking, you know what really makes Barbara start talking? Words. Just say words. Any words and she will latch on to one or two and go. Barb says, I gotta get a haircut. And I was like, oh yeah? Yeah? And she says, yeah, it's too long. And so I said, when do you think you'll be able to do that? I don't know, she said. And then she looks down one of the aisles and she seemed very pensive and she was still stroking her hair. And then she nodded at a thought and she said, tonight's a full moon. And I said, do you think you'll be able to like get an appointment at a salon today? And then she looked at me with like, like she was totally baffled, almost contemptuous. And she said, can't get a haircut on a full moon. I'll repeat that. You cannot, she says with authority and experience, you cannot get a haircut on a full moon. I said, why? And then she looked at me with an even more agitated version of that same contemptuous, pitying uh, expression. And then she put her hands on her hips and she said, are you kidding me? 
and then she walked away. But when she put her hands on her hips, she did it in, in like a, the a 1940s style. She put the backs of her wrists on her hips with like her fingers curled in toward her forearms. She is big into astrology. I've heard her identify people by their astrological signs in the past, which incidentally, did you know that was a major part of the Reagan administration? After Ronald Reagan got shot, which if you didn't know that happened, it did, Nancy Reagan got really, really panicked about his safety. And so as people tend to do in the wake of a trauma, she leaned into the only belief system that really made sense, which was astrology. So whenever there was like a big issue on Reagan's death, that he was gonna like make a formidable decision about he and his chief of staff would kind of sit patiently and entertain Nancy Reagan when she went in and insisted on reading his horoscope aloud and then speculating about it and trying to draw some comparison between what the stars had Roth and what Reagan was about to say about whatever Gorbachev <laughs> It is now a day later. I posted most of what I got from the thrift store yesterday on eBay and on Mercari and on Poshmark and on OfferUp, and I can now report that almost none of it has been uh, looked at, bid upon, which is like not a huge deal. It's not even been quite 24 hours, but there is that immediate sinking fe feeling of like, oh fuck, oh fuck, did I do it again? Did I spend too much money? Did I, you know, invest in the wrong things? But we shall see and I'll keep you apprised. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Thousand Movie Project Podcast. As I recently mentioned, I just finished a big creative project, and one of the things I'm jumping into to keep myself occupied, try new things, stay challenged, is I've been doodling shit. I've been doodling quite a lot and, like, writing notes to people. So if you're not totally freaked out by the idea of sharing your mailing address and you want to get a little something in the mail from... I was going to say the podcast from me is really the, where you're going to be getting mail from. You can go ahead and send your mailing address to thousandmovieproject at gmail.com. That's thousandmovieproject spelled out. It's the words, no numbers. And in the event that life things haven't swept me up and sort of consumed me in the time between when I'm posting this and when you send it, you should expect something in the mail in the ensuing couple weeks. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.